Good morning, church. In the book of Ezra, there's this scene where the people of God are about to hear uh, the law for the first time in their lives. The law is discovered, and they want to hear the law being read. And in order to hear it, the people stand to hear a word from God. And that's a practice that Jews did for a long time. It's a practice that Christians have done throughout history. So I want to read a text this morning, but to do so, I want to invite you to stand back up for just a minute to hear a word from God. We're going to be reading from Romans chapter 7. And instead of reading along, instead of seeing the slides, I just want you to listen. I want you to hear what God is saying. What then should we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity in the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived. And I died, and the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity in the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. Did what is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, working death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin through the commandment, might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self. But I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells within my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? That's a word from God for us this morning. You can be seated now. I was reading that passage this week several times, and it it struck me just how how much this is screaming at me, Jordan, this is you. This is you. Are there any golfers in here? Am I, I I know, I know, yes? All right, Charles, good. We've got two, good, good. I know there's more of you, you're just embarrassed to say it, so fine, whatever. Golf is a complex sport with complex rules. This is a picture of a guy named Dustin Johnson, who you're going to hear about in just a minute. The object of golf is to get a tiny white ball into a cup in as few shots as possible. That's how you win. But there are so many rules about how you get that tiny white ball into the cup that it's a little bit amusing. 
So this morning I want to share with you three rules of golf that I just think are hilarious. So the first one is this. If you ever watch PGA Tour Golf, just turn on the TV this afternoon. It's going to be on one of the broadcast stations. If you watch televised golf, you will see from time to time even the good golfers hit the ball into crowds because they're not that good. It happens. It would happen every time if I was playing. When it does that, you have to play the ball as it lies. If you've seen the movie Happy Gilmore, which it's not a recommendation, it's just a observation. If you've seen the movie Happy Gilmore, there's a a scene where a ball lands on a guy's foot, and the guy has to play the ball as it lies. That's the rule. There is an exception to the rule, though, and I find this hilarious. The exception to the rule is that if you hit the ball and your opponent is standing out of bounds, and the ball strikes your opponent and lands out of bounds, you get a mulligan which in my mind means that you should probably aim at your opponent. (laughs) How many of you would watch golf if that was the object? (laughs) I know, so I got a few. There you go. That is an actual rule from the PGA Tour, and I think that's wonderful. Second rule, if you hit the ball into a sand bunker, which is a bad idea, if you hit the ball into the sand bunker and you hit it so hard that it gets covered up in sand, You are able to go into the bunker and dig out the ball. You can dig it completely out. You can pick up the ball. But before you hit the ball, you have to put the ball back on the ground and recover it with sand, which I think is funny. You can move the ball, but it still has to be covered in sand. Rule number three, and this is why Dustin Johnson's up here. You cannot ground a club in a bunker which is like speaking Latin for a lot of you, and I understand that. To ground a club is when you hold your club before you strike the ball, you cannot let the club head hit the ground. In 2010, whistling straights, it was the U.S. Open. Dustin Johnson found himself in a three-person playoff. It was epic. It was awesome, and these guys were playing the best golf of their life. Dustin Johnson hits the ball right there. You see it. He does not recognize that place as a bunker. So he walks up to the ball, puts his club on the ground, and takes a swing. By the time he's walked up to the hole, he's found out that he had broke a rule that he did not know was a rule, and it cost him two strokes, and the U.S. Open, and millions of dollars. (laughs) If you break the rules... In golf and in life, it is going to cost you. That's the way things work. And as Christians, we recognize some important rules that we break. Like, don't gossip. We don't talk a lot about gossip in church, but maybe we should. We probably gossip a lot. I know that back when I was a kid, we had this Sunday afternoon routine where Sunday morning we'd go to church, we'd eat lunch, we'd take naps, and then we would go out to my great-grandmother's house. And she would sit out on this patio, and we'd all go sit next to her, and for the next 30 minutes, we would gossip about people in church. (laughs) That was our Sunday afternoon ritual. It happened. And it was a rule that we knew we were not supposed to break, but every week we willingly broke that rule. Don't gossip. Don't lust. That's a rule that got real quiet in here all of a sudden. 
That's a rule we're not comfortable talking about a lot, but it's a rule we break. Don't lie. We see that all over the news, but we also see that when we look in the mirror sometimes. Don't hate. That one's tough. Like, people make us mad. People have done stuff to us. What about don't show your anger? I feel like that's a rule that I break occasionally. Some of you have been on the receiving end of that. And then there's the all-encompassing don't sin. And we look at these rules and we recognize we are people that break rules. And if you're anything like me, I have this small voice in the back of my head that doesn't comfort me in those times, but instead tells me that I broke the rules and it's going to cost me. Like when I don't talk to my brother for four weeks, and and there's that voice in my head telling me, you're not invested in this relationship. You don't care what he thinks. You don't care about him as a person. He's not going to care about you. When I give in to temptation... I sin. That voice is saying, you're so weak. You did it again. It's that same temptation over and over again, and you're so weak. That voice is loud. When I don't manage my time well, when I get distracted at work by, you know, Facebook or or whatever, and, and then when I get home and I'm distracted from my family because of work and and this vicious cycle of not managing my time well, that voice is saying, you're not getting your work done and that's going to cost you, or you're not spending time with Micah and that's going to cost you. When I don't pray as much or as well as I should, that voice is saying, you don't even love God. I do. That voice is loud. When I tell Micah that I will play with him in a minute and I sit down on the couch and it comes time for dinner, comes time for bath, and I haven't played with him, that that voice is telling me he's not going to love you. (laughs) He's not going to respect you. When I tell Lindsay I'll do something for her and I neglect to do it and and we have an argument about that afterwards, that voice is saying, you're so dumb, she doesn't have to put up with this. That voice is nagging at me all the time. And often, it's because I've broken the rules and I know it's going to cost me. By any measure of what is good and evil, within me, I hope the good outweighs the evil, but I recognize that within me, there is plenty of evil. It is there. And it's not dormant. And so when I hear Paul in Romans chapter 7 talking about all of this, I, I hear within me, I hear that struggle. That this isn't who I want to be, but this is who I am. I hear Paul saying that the law is good, but sin is not simply breaking the rules. It's not breaking the law. Sin is this force within me that causes me to do the things I hate to do. We are just this jumbled mess of humanity where the good we hope to do is often put aside for evil. We are the miserable wretches that Paul is talking about. And it leaves us 
with this idea that we have broken the rules and it is going to cost us. And so we get to the question, the big question, what can we do? And the answer is nothing. We can't do a thing. The question is, who can save us? And that's when we get to Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, when you see the word therefore and you're reading your Bibles, that means pay attention to what came before it. Therefore, pointing to all that stuff that we just talked about, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's hear that one more time. I think it's something we need to hear over and over today. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Doesn't that sound good? Sounds great to hear that I am not condemned. It's relieving. But for some reason, Deep within me, something remains that is still telling me the opposite. I know I've broken the rules, and that voice in my head is telling me I am not good enough. I have not done enough. I do not deserve this. And it's trying to convince me that God will condemn me. You know what I'm talking about? How can we trust that voice? How can we trust what God is saying? Do you remember Romans chapter 5? If you've read your Bibles, maybe you're familiar with this passage. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. If you have a highlighter or a pen, just underline this and, and let it soak in for a little while. God proves his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is what I believe, and this is based on my understanding of Romans, and if I'm wrong, that's, that's okay. But I believe this about God The reason that we are no longer condemned is because God's love is unconditional. And you need to hear that. We all need to hear that. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around the idea of unconditional love because we rarely experience unconditional love in our lives. We experience a lot of this conditional love that's still good, but it's conditional. We want to think that God's love is conditional too. Just like all the other love that we've experienced. And and you look at what we've experienced, like marriage. (laughs) 50% of marriages end in divorce. And I know that's not a happy stat. That means 50% succeed. So there, there you go. There's a glass half full. But 50% end in divorce because that love is conditional. You have to fulfill your side of the obligation in order for love to be maintained. Look at church. 
Most of us focus on issues in our church or in a church rather than focusing on relationships because our brotherly and sisterly love for each other is still conditional. You have to look like me. You have to talk like me. You have to act like me. And most of all, you better believe what I believe if you want to be loved by me. Goes back to what we were talking about with golf. If you break the rules, it will cost you. And I think that clouds our understanding of who God is and what God's love is like. God's love is not conditional. God's love is not like our love. God loves us in our brokenness. Not in spite of our brokenness, but while we are broken, while we are sinners, God proves his love for us. What are we saying if we say that God's love is conditional? I think we're saying some things that have to be brought into question. I think that we are saying that our sin is more powerful than God's love. That our anger has more power than God's love. That our gossip has more power than God's love. That our lust has more power than God's love. And that cannot be true. If we say that God's love is conditional, especially based on Romans, we are saying that we are more powerful than God. And that is false. That is a lie from Satan. God's love has no conditions. God's love is unconditional. God's love does not come to us because we have earned it. God's love does not come to us because we are good enough. God's love doesn't even come to us because we choose to follow God. God loves us because God is love, and God's love does not come with conditions. And not only that, receiving God's love sets us free from sin. It disarms the principalities and powers that are at work within us. God's love has the power to defeat our sin, to overwhelm our sin, and to break the chains of our sin that are holding us back. That's why in chapter 8, verse 2, it talks about how the law of the Spirit, which comes from God's love, don't separate those things. This is all about God's love. But this law of the Spirit sets us free from the law of sin and death. God's love sets us free. God's love cannot be taken from us because there are no conditions on it. God did not so love those who would accept him. God did not so love those who would follow the commands right. God did not so love the powerful. God so loved the world while we were still sinners that he sent us Jesus. And that cannot and that will not be taken from any of us. God will not stop loving us. And that's great news. That's gospel news. 
In fact, there is no power in the world that can ever pull us away from God's love. Romans chapter 8 ends with another one of those highlight-worthy verses, a couple of verses. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation. What did he leave out there? Nothing. will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, God's love is unconditional. And in Christ... There is no condemnation, just love. Hear that. In Christ, there is no condemnation, just love. Challenge you to write that down. Put that on your bathroom mirror so you'll see it every morning. Put that next to your oil change sticker in your car. Tattoo it on your hand if, you, if you're into that kind of thing. In Christ, there is no condemnation, just love. We have the world all around us that will condemn us because we are broken. We are. We're hypocrites. We are. We have that voice in our head that's going to tell us, you broke the rules and it's going to cost you. We have people around us that may tell us that we broke the rules and it's going to cost us. But even in all of that, do you know what God is saying to us? God is saying, you are not condemned. You are loved. Do you hear God? Let me ask you this. Whose voice are we going to listen to? Today, I choose to listen to God's voice. I am not condemned. I am loved. Praise be to God. Father, we thank you for saving us. Thank you for loving us. Let us live in light of your love always. It is in the name of Jesus Christ who proves your great love for us that we pray. Amen.